Ephesians chapter 1 is where we're going to be at today. Open your Bibles there. Uh, we are uh, going to be going through the book of Ephesians over the next uh, year or so, six months, nine months, a year, something, however long it takes. It's going to take us a while uh, because it will take us a while. What I'm going to do is try to uh, mix in some smaller series uh, within the, the, the bigger series of Ephesians. We'll probably go through the book of Jonah at some point. We'll maybe do some Old Testament stuff. And so it won't just be all Ephesians on Sunday mornings from, from now on, but we will be going pretty much passage by passage through this book. We haven't done any, uh, any real uh, extensive work in the book of Ephesians, from the pulpit anyway, uh, since uh, 2001, I think is what I, what I looked up in my file. And, and so this will be good for us to, to get back into this incredible book, a very doctrinal book, very solid, um, lots of great doctrinal, solid teaching in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 3 through 10, okay? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Father, we thank You for the opportunity to look at Your character today. God, we, uh, we want to see it, God. Uh, we're tired of looking at ourselves, Lord. We're tired of, of the biggest things in our life being things in this world. Because, Father, we know that's just not true. Uh, Father, we know there is another reality. There is a, a bigger purpose, a bigger plan. And, Father, you're in the midst of all of that. So, Lord, we ask by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would teach us about yourself. That you would open our minds to truth. That you'd open our our hearts to, to leap for joy over who you are and what you've done. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Probably if I were to say to you, uh, come in this morning, I'd say, okay, just open up the, to you, your Bibles, the book of Ephesians, and pick me out the passage that you want me to preach today, okay? If I were just to say that and you were to come in, and many of you probably read through this book many times, and you maybe have a favorite verse maybe that's in the book of Ephesians, I doubt that you would choose the passage that I just read for you, okay? The first passage in the book of Ephesians. Most likely you would choose something in chapters 4, 5, or 6. Now, why would I say that? Well, the way the book of Ephesians is broken up is that the first three chapters are heavenly, heavily God-centered. They're heavily... Uh, um, um, doctrinal in the sense of uh, they talk a lot about God. They talk a lot about the attributes of God, the characteristics of God, what God has done, what God will do. And then the latter three chapters talk a lot about the everyday things of life. And so probably if I were just to say, open your Bibles, pick me a passage. What do you want to hear about today? Probably there'd be someone who would say, hey, hey in Ephesians 4, it talks about uh, being angry and not sinning. I really need that today because I am right on the edge of sinning. And, and so I need to hear that today, right? Uh, maybe you would say a yeah, passage on forgiveness. There's a great passage on forgiveness in Ephesians 4. 
or maybe maybe marriage. There might be uh, wives who would come in and say, hey, pastor, in Ephesians 5 says husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Hey, would you preach on that today? Because I know somebody who needs to hear that. Likewise, there might be some guys who would say, you know, in there a passage on, on submission in Ephesians 5? Hey, that might be a great one for this morning. Or maybe some of you are kind of just really struggling and in temptation. You might say, hey, I want to hear about the armor of God in Ephesians 6. And I, I imagine that most of you would, would gravitate, as would I, toward practical implication passages in the New Testament and, and in the book of Ephesians especially. Now, the reason I would say that today, what we're looking at today, is every bit as important, if not more important than those practical passages, is that this... Folks, what we need more than anything else, more than more than tips on marriage, more than how to parent your children, more than how to forgive or how to control your anger. What we need more than any of that is to know God. Okay, I believe that. I think the scriptures solidly teach that that our greatest need is to know God more than to know financial things or the stock market or parenting or marriage or or anger tips or forgiveness. What, What we need more than all of that and actually what we need to make all of the other make sense is we need to know about the greatness of God. Okay, folks, here's the thing about about why should we know about God? Why should we spend time just looking at what God is, has done, who he is, how he acts, how he relates? The reason is, first of all, that God is better than anything in this world. I mean, just just right out. God is awesome. Okay, we ought to want to know about him. We ought to want to see him and understand him because there is nothing greater than God. Okay, there is nothing more glorious or beautiful or complex than the power of God. And folks, we we, we want to know those sorts of things, don't we? We want to know about about complex things and and marvelous things and wonderful things. I mean, we look through magazines about all these places over the world that are just beautiful and incredible. And and folks, there is nothing that compares to God. Nothing in this world compares to God. We love to read books about interesting people. Probably many of you, maybe this year, have picked up a biography about some famous person, some person that did great things in life. Why? Because because that's a natural desire in us to, to see greatness and to read about greatness. Folks, there is no one greater than God. We're all watching the Olympics right now because we want to see the best people in the world at a certain sport, don't we? I mean, I mean, I, that's what I love about the Olympics is you got the the best loser in the whole world, right? Or the best ski jumper, or the or the the best uh, racer, uh, Apollo Ono. I mean, I, I watched some of his races last night. That, that's just incredible to see these people who who are who are designed and wired and, and just the best at what they do. Uh, the only the only exception to that is the men's figure skating. I just can't get beyond the costumes, and so so you know, put that out. But everything else you got in the Olympics, that's why we're drawn to that is because we're drawn to greatness and there is no one greater than God. So why should we spend the day and, and the next couple weeks just looking at the greatness of God and the characteristics of God? But just because he's the most awesome thing in the universe. Okay. Number one. Second of all, because you will not trust him unless you know him. Okay. You will not trust him unless you know him. Uh, I really believe that as we look at Ephesians four and five and six and all these practical things that that we want to know about for our life. You know what? They will not matter at all if you don't know God, if you don't trust God. Right. We'll we'll have we'll have husbands that will open up Ephesians five and say, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And they'll say, you know what? Uh, God doesn't know who my wife is, I guess, you know, or we'll have wives that will open up or or husbands will open and say, you need to submit to me. We'll have wives that will say, 
wait, what? What planet are you from, right? And and it'll be incredibly difficult. It is incredibly difficult to trust the Bible, to open it up and say, okay, I'm supposed to live this way. I'm supposed to forgive. I'm supposed to turn the other cheek. I'm supposed to live in in, in the way that God prescribes. That's almost impossible unless you trust Him, unless you know Him, unless you know how mighty and and awesome and glorious and all-sufficient He is and what He has done for you. Unless you know Him, you will not trust Him. And so we look at passages like this because we want to know God so we can trust Him. We want to know His character. You know, I I didn't know many of you 13, 12, 13 years ago. I didn't know David Biffle. I I didn't know him until about 10 years ago. And and even after I first met him, I was a little skeptical, you know? I mean, I thought he was a good guy, but, you know, I don't know that I would have trusted him with a whole lot just because I didn't know him well. But now that I know David and I've seen that he's trustworthy, he's faithful, he's dependable, he's not letting me down, you know, he's always there when I've needed him, I've come to trust him because I know his character. And in the same way, folks, I believe there are many people, maybe in this room, and, and you, you, don't, you don't obey the Bible. You don't open up to, to what the Bible says on money or on, uh, on your temper. Or you, you don't obey it. And, it's, and the heart of that thing, the heart of why you struggle with obedience is because you don't know the one who has given the command. You don't trust him. And so what we want to do is we want to know God. Just like probably if I, if I was a policeman, I would want to know about bulletproof vests. I don't know anything about them now, but, but if, I w- if I was going to wear one, I'd want to know something about it. You know, D- does it work with all guns? Does it work at point blank range? I mean, I'd want to know some facts about that. If, if I was going to take a zip line over a, high over a rainforest, I'd want to know something about the line, wouldn't you? I mean, if, if that little string on there, make me a little skeptical, okay? I'd want to know something about how strong is that? What are the safety features? If I'm going to invest my money, which I, I don't have really have any to invest, but if I had something I was going to invest, I'd want to know about that company, wouldn't you? I mean, I'd want someone to tell me this, this company has a reputation for, for, for financial integrity and, and, and to handle your money and, and they have this track record. You know, I, I wouldn't want to invest in some company that, that I, I didn't know about. And that's a natural thing. If, if I'm going to take a, a boat ride around the world, I'd want to know something about the boat. If, I, if I'm going to fly on an airline, you know, there's one time where Emma and I, uh, we, we drove into Denver and Emma had made all the arrangements over the Internet. We drove into Denver. We, we looked at our tickets and, we, and we, we, we were on an airline that we had never heard of before. Never heard of before. I hadn't heard a commercial. I'd never heard the name before. And I want to know, I was a little nervous getting on the plane just because, you know, I mean, I'm sure it was fine and it was fine. But, but I just never heard of it, you know, and that made me a, a little disturbed because when we know the character of something we we come to trust if if its character is good and and so here's the thing this morning if god's not impressive to you it's doubtful that you will trust him in the nuts and bolts of your life And, and if you're unsure that god is good then you know what you probably won't follow him when things get tough and if you know what if you if you don't know that god is loving and strong and capable then you probably won't trust him with your money and you probably won't trust him with your relationships and you probably won't trust him to do risky things in your life I think that's why a lot of people struggle with prayer. I think a lot of people struggle with prayer because they struggle with the one they're praying to. They're just not quite sure that God is intimately involved in their life. And they're not quite sure, does God really care? Is he really listening? Is he really going to answer? Can I really trust him with with, with what he answers? Folks, it all comes down to the character of God. We need to know him so we will trust him. Third reason. Number one, he's awesome. Number two, you're not going to trust him unless you know who he is. But if you know who he is, I'm convinced you will trust him. And number three, 
We need to know who he is because knowing God stirs up praise in our hearts for him. That's what's happening with Paul here. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul starts out, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every, every blessing, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Paul is saying, Paul is erupting here with praise. He's just overflowing. Man, bless God because of all these spiritual blessings that he has blessed us with. Folks, the more you know of God, the more impressive he is. You know, you can't say that about everything in life, can you? The more you know about it, the more impressive it is. But you can say that about God. And the more we see of his character and, and his works, the more we're going to say, God, you are glorious. The more we will praise him. And, and folks, it's important that we praise him, first of all, because God is worthy of praise. That's, that's what we're here for. That's why you exist is for the praise of his glory. And we'll talk about that at the end. But folks, you know, just from a practical perspective, I want to erupt with praise for God because people who praise God, people who are full of praise, people who are full of, 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 of wow in how, how awesome God is, those people are joyful people. You know, I've always thought of myself as a pretty joyful guy. I think I am. Uh, I, I tend to, to run that way. I mean, I, I sing with my kids at the supper table, and we do verses. And I mean, I'm, a, I'm the guy in the morning. I, I'm kind of a morning person, and I'm, you know, we're saying this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I've always thought, just on a scale, you know, comparing myself to everybody else, I've always thought I was a pretty happy person. Until I started looking at Facebook, okay? Now, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I, I go back and forth between Facebook's of the devil and Facebook is useful. I, and I, I'm back and forth. I can't decide which one. Right now, I, I'm, I'm kind of on the it's useful side. But, but man, it, one of the things that's really discouraged me about is I have uh, I figured out I'm not near as happy as a guy as I thought I was. And I started looking at everybody else's posts on Facebook. And I don't do much posting, but I look at everybody else's. Everybody is laughing out loud all the time. I, 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 I'm just not. And that kind of disturbs me a little bit. But I didn't know what that meant, LOL, for a long time until finally my wife told me what that meant. And I started looking and people are laughing out loud all day. I mean, I probably laugh out loud a couple times a day. You know, I mean, I might snicker and I might think something's funny and I might be happy. But I mean, as far as just, ha, 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 you know, I mean, maybe a couple times a day do I do that. But I've been looking on some people's posts. I mean, every 45 seconds they are laughing out loud. I mean, the whole day. I don't know how they get their work done because it's just constant. Constant laughter in her life. And so maybe this is not going to mean as much to you, you, you know, that are laughing out loud all the time. But this means a lot to me because I want to be joyful. I want to be the guy that feels full. I want to be the guy that's erupting with praise for God. I want to be that guy. I, 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 want, I, want, I want Nehemiah 8.10 to be true for me. That the joy of the Lord is my strength. You know, that the Bible says when you are happy in God, when you're happy with God, when you're happy because of what God has done, that makes you strong for life. It makes you strong for fighting temptation and dealing with difficult circumstances and difficult people. And so ask yourself, do, do you have that? Are, are you praising God? Do you bless Him? Do you feel in your heart of hearts an overflow of worship for Him? I'm not asking, do you come to worship? It's a different thing. It's a different thing to come and sing whatever's up on the screen or whatever the song leaders lead. That's a different thing than when you come and in your heart of hearts you're like, God is great. He is awesome. He is good. My heart overflows with the goodness of the Lord. You see, that, that's a different thing. Do you have that? Folks, people who are full of praise are people who feel rich and not poor. No matter what their bank account says, they feel rich and not poor. People who are full of praise feel fortunate and not overlooked. They feel chosen and not left out. They are people who give freely of themselves because they have a fullness in themselves. I want to be like Paul in Ephesians 1. I want my heart to say, blessed 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed me with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I want that in my life. You know, the way Paul talks about what God has done, he talks about it in, in such a, and I'm going to word the, use the word he uses, a lavish way. You know, in verse 3, he says, He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then in verse 7 and 8, uh, he talks about redemption. He talks about forgiveness and, and, and being redeemed. And then in verse 8, he says, Which he lavished upon us. And i got to read the context of it. Verse 7. The end of verse 7 says, The riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. You know what that word lavish means? I looked it up. It means to, to be present in superabundance. Okay? So what Paul is saying is, I have a superabundance of God's riches in my life. That's what he's saying about you. If you're a born-again believer here today, if you know Christ, then, then, then Paul is saying you have a superabundance of God's grace. You have a superabundance of His blessing, of His riches. Folks, do you, do you feel that today? I suspect that there are people that came in here today and they would not say they have a superabundance of God's riches in their life. In fact, you, you might have come in here today and say, you know what, I don't have a superabundance of money and I don't have a superabundance of health and I don't have a superabundance of, of, of ease in my life. The only thing I've got a superabundance of is trials. I bet there's someone that came in feeling just like that. Hey, you know what? Paul says, if you're a believer, you have a superabundance. God has lavished upon you the riches of His grace. And every spiritual blessing. Now, now, why don't we always feel that way? Well, it could be, it could be this morning that you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior. It could be this morning that you're not what, what the Bible would describe as a believer. Someone who has turned away from their sin, put their faith in Christ. You, you don't belong to Him right now. You're still resisting Him. Maybe you're convicted of your sin. Maybe you're kind of seeking the Lord and that's why you're here this morning. But, but maybe you, have, you don't have that in your life. And here's what I pray would happen is, as I just real briefly here in just a moment, as we just look through some of the blessings that Jesus gives to every born again believer, what my prayer would be is that that would draw you to him. You would say, you know what? I want that. If that's what Jesus gives and I want him, if that's who he is, I want to know him. I want to be with him. I want to be joined to him. Now, it could also be that you are a believer today, but you came in feeling that way just simply because you have not unpacked and unwrapped and, 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 and laid out before you what God has done in your life. It could be that you're, you're not looking at that. You're looking at the circumstances of your life. You're, looking, you're not looking at the spiritual realities. You're looking at the physical realities. Let's talk about that for a second, okay? Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Listen, in the heavenly places. What is that, in the heavenly places? You know, you know what I think a lot of people think of when they think of that? They think of, well, what that means is, is that all my blessings are coming in heaven, right? When I die or when Jesus comes back, I'm going to heaven, and that's where all my blessings are, Okay. If that's the way you feel about that, then I can understand why many of you came in here today thinking, well, okay, good. I got lots of stuff in heaven, nothing now, but lots of stuff in heaven. And, and you know, let me say this. If that were true, it would still be glorious, wouldn't it? I mean, it would still be pretty awesome to know that, that after these few short years here, that God has these riches laid up for us in heaven. And that is true, that He does. But let me tell you, I don't think that's what Paul means when he says He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let me tell you why. Okay, if you'll just bear with me, and if you'll look in your Bible here for a second, let's do just a real quick tour of Ephesians and see how Paul uses that phrase, okay? Chapter 1, verse 20. Are you ready? 
says uh, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, raised Jesus from the dead, and seated him at the right hand, at his right hand, God's right hand, in the heavenly places. Now, that kind of does seem like God is just using that to refer to heaven, okay? But if you go down to chapter 2, verse 6, he's talking about us, okay? And he says, and raised us up. This is upon our conversion. He raises us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay, now you know what that tells me? That tells me that when I was born again, when I was saved in, in, in May of 1990, that, that I was seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. Now, think about that. Where am I? Well, I'm on the stage at Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church in Woodward, Oklahoma. But yet, Ephesians 2 tells me that I'm seated in the heavens with Jesus Christ. Explain that to me, friends. Let, let's keep reading. Chapter 3, verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Paul says that the church is making known the wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities. Where? In the heavenly places. Does that mean that the church is teaching the angels in heaven? I don't think that's what that means. Okay? Okay. Uh, and let me give you one that I think is going to help really clear it up. Chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in where? The heavenly places. Okay, so Paul is describing spiritual warfare, demonic warfare, satanic warfare. Where is it happening? In the heavenly places. Does that mean it's happening in heaven? That, you know, Satan's up there, you know, he, he and God are going after it in heaven and the, the demons are going after it with the angels. I, I, don't, I don't see the Bible describing spiritual warfare happening that way. It's happening with us, is it not? But it's not happening in a physical way. It is happening how? In a spiritual way. And I think what Paul is pointing at when he talks about the heavenly places is that there's another reality besides the one of physical wood and, and stone and carpet and, and buildings that we see in flesh right now. Does that make sense? There's another reality that, that, that is just as real all around us, and it's the spiritual reality. Folks, I think it's, it's, it's what baptism points to, okay? Every time someone's baptized here at Lincoln Avenue, what does that mean? What does that signify? Well, it signifies that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and he rose again, and that we, whoever's being baptized, they've come to be united, united, get that? United with Jesus in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And when someone's baptized, they say, I have been joined to Jesus. I am in Christ. He, his spirit is in me. I live in him, okay? Okay, what are we talking about there? We're talking about a spiritual reality. Does that make sense? Jesus called this the kingdom of God. Okay, there's a kingdom of God. He, he and Pilate, he and the Pharisees, they would have these conversations and Jesus would say, you don't get it. My kingdom is not of this world. Okay, but there's another reality in which people are yielding their lives to Jesus Christ and under his reign and under his authority. And folks, that reality is just as real as Taco Mayo and cancer and workman's comp and term papers in school. It's just as real. In fact, it's more real. We just struggle to see it. But actually, it's eternal. It will live on forever and ever. While this reality, your car, your house, your bank account, all of that will someday be gone. But there's another reality that exists right now and will extend all the way into eternity. Okay, so are you getting that? So Paul tells us that in that reality, in the heavenly places, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Okay? Now, what kind of blessings are we talking about? Well, let's look at verse 4. Let's unpack some of them. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him 
before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. Here's the truth of the Scriptures. You did not seek God. God sought you. Let me prove that to you. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 verse 10. It says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not the one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. We're all sinners. We're all broken. We're all bent the wrong way. We're all totally unimpressed with God. And what happens? God does a work. God draws us to himself. God sends Jesus to die on the cross for us. God prepares a way for us to have a relationship with him. And God initiates that. Now, you know what that tells me? You know the good news about that? God is not indifferent to your life. God is not uninterested in what's going on in your life. So many people walk around thinking God really doesn't care about them. God really isn't interested in them. They just kind of got into, into the church and into salvation in the back door. You know what? That is completely against the New Testament. Here in Ephesians, it says that God, God reached out to you even before the foundations of the world. God had a plan and a design for your life. God has sought you and drawn you to himself. Friends, that's incredible. We sing a song that says he sought me and bought me with his redeeming love. That is true. He did that. And God's intention in reaching into our life is not just simply to save us, but it's to make us holy and blameless before him. And there is a there is a sense again. Let, let's talk about the different realities, okay? The, in the spiritual reality, in the heavenly places, you know what? You're already holy and blameless. Isn't that true? Because when you come to Christ, if you're a Christian here today, what happens? Well, your sins are placed upon Jesus, and His righteousness, His righteous life, is imputed. That's a biblical word. It's it's put into your account. So that you have the righteousness of Christ. And so in a real way, we are holy and blameless in Him, in Christ. When God looks at us, He sees Jesus' righteousness. Our sins are taken away. Christ's righteousness is put into us. And we are made righteous. We are holy and blameless before Him. But you know what? God's not content with it just to be in that reality. God is working and He has given us the Spirit. And He's given us the church. And He's given us spiritual friendships. And He's given us the Word of God. And He's given us prayer that we might become holy and blameless right here and now. That we would progress in holiness in our practical daily lives. You know what this says, folks? God has sought after you and He has grabbed you and He is moving you in the direction of holy and blameless. I like that. You know what that tells me? My life's just not waffling. Isn't that good? I mean, you ever feel like that? You ever just feel like, am I going anywhere in life? You know, am, am, am I doing anything? You know what? God has a hold of me. And even though things might not go just like I like, and I might have disappointments, and I might have struggles, and I might have failures, God is wrapping all of that and moving through the power of His Holy Spirit to progress me, to become like Jesus Christ. And you as well, if you belong to Him. Folks, that's exciting. John Piper talks about the destiny, the perspective of destiny. Just thinking that God has, has so, so, so wired and, and created salvation in such a way as to bring us to holiness and blamelessness in our life. In a way, when you're born again, He's engineered you for holiness. He's, he's put His Spirit inside of you. He's given you the mind of Christ. And in the spiritual realm as well as flowing into the, the physical realm, you are engineered for holiness. Hadden and I, we've been working for the last three days on catapults, okay, to science projects. So we, we've had bamboo sticks and pieces of wood and um, any scraps that we could find. We've been making catapults, all right? And in all of our engineering brilliance, which is very small, we have been, we have been creating things that will catapult things, small objects, into the air, okay? See, we've been working to design things that will specifically do that. 
Okay? Now, if we take those things, if we take one of our catapults that's designed to, 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 to shoot a grape through the air, if we take it and throw it off the top of the house, you know, like a Frisbee, guess what? It's not going to work as well. Okay? You know why? Because it's not engineered to do that. Okay? It's made to do something else. It's designed to do something else. If we put it on the stove and turn on the burners and try to cook hot dogs on it, it's going to go badly for us. Okay? You know why? Because it's not designed to do that. And here's a great, just a great picture put in your mind. You know what? You're not designed to live a life away from Jesus anymore. You're not designed to go your own way. You're not designed to live a selfish life. And when you try to do that, it doesn't go well, does it? You know why? Because God has reached out and brought you to himself in a relationship. And he's put his spirit in you. And and, and he's blessed you with every spiritual blessing so that you would progress toward holiness and blamelessness in your life. So what else has God done? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 5, I'm going to start at the end of verse 4. In love, He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to stop right here. I didn't have this in my notes, but I did in the first service. I'm going to do it here. You know, it it frustrates me sometimes when people get so uptight about words that they don't, can't, can't rationalize in their mind. Words like predestination, words like that God has chosen us in Him. You know, and, and please don't do that. And let me tell you why I don't do that. Because... The things of God are bigger than you can understand, okay? Our job is simply to wrap our our heads as much as we can around the Bible and just believe it, okay? And we have to do that a lot, okay? Let me give you some examples of that, okay? Jesus Christ, is He God or is He man? He both. Now, how do you be both God and man? Can you rationalize that? Tell me, tell me, can you figure that out? How you can be both God, how you can be 100% God, how you can be the God of the universe who who is sustaining, Colossians 1 tells us, who is sustaining the gravitational pull of of the earth and the spin of the earth and the tilt of the earth and all the atmospheric pressure. He's holding it all together. And at the same time, he's a man. Walking the streets of, uh, of Galilee, dying on a cross, Telling his disciples that he doesn't know the time or day. Only the Father knows of when we're coming back. A man who, who, who is legitimately and sincerely being tempted by the devil. How, if you're God, how does that work together? How does that mesh together? I don't exactly know, but it's beautiful, isn't it? The God-man, Jesus Christ. How about this one, the Trinity? How many gods do we serve? How many? One? But yet in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. How does that work? How, how can you be one and three at the same time? One and three at the exact same time. God is. He is one God in three persons. Distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful picture. Word of God. Written by men or written by God? Both. Isn't it? Infallible. Inerrant. Without error, inspired by the Spirit of God, but yet written through the distinct personalities of real men who walked the earth. Okay, let's get back to our, our Ephesians 1. Salvation. Of God? Yes, it is. Does man respond? Yes, he does. Is God sovereign? Yes, he is. Are we responsible? Yes, you are. How's it work? It does. It just does. Are you following me? Okay. All right. Now, where was I? Adoption. Okay. What has God done? He predestined us for adoption. 
Now, you know what I think of when I think of adoption? I think of those World Vision flyers and the, the pictures of Haiti of these beautiful little children that just need a family. Isn't that what you think of? That's really not the picture with us, though. Okay? Because who we were, we were enemies of God. We were His creation who said, we don't want you. We're not interested in you. We will not serve you. We will not obey you. And we will not follow you. We will do what we want to do. We will worship ourselves. And we will worship what we pick, what we see. What, 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 we will exchange your glory for images. We, we, we rebelled against you. In fact, Ephesians 2 says we're enemies of God. And yet God says, I want, I want you to be in my family. Is he not glorious? Are you getting that? Is he not glorious? Who does that? We, we adopt kids, but you know, would I ever go to my worst enemy? The, the person who, who just doesn't want me, despises me, you know, breaks all my commands, will not re- respect me or honor me. Would I say, I want you and I'm going to bring you into my family and I'm going to give you all the rights and privileges as Haddon. And, and you're going to have as much of my time and as much as my riches as he does as a natural born son. That's what God has done for us. God has created a relationship in which he brings us into his family. And he is to us so much so a father that we respond to him by saying, Abba, Daddy, Father. It's interesting to me that in the New Testament, whenever it talks about adoption, it also talks about us crying out to God as a father. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. In Romans chapter 8. Verse 15 is for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. God God has so so reached out to us and drawn us into his family that he's created a relationship in which we cry out to him in dependence. We cry out to him like haven cries to me. We cry out to him in that same way, in affection and love. Folks, how valuable is that? You know, if I would ask you what's the most valuable thing in your life today, you would probably say something like my family is the relationship I have with my my spouse and my kids and my parents. You would even say maybe you've got some friends in your life. I do. I know that they're, they're the most precious thing to you. I mean, they care for you and they look after you. And you've got these friendships. You would say that's the most. Valuable. You know what? God has sought to create that with him. He wants us to be his children. He wants us to cry out to him as a father. He wants to be our friend. That's what God has done in your life. He's created you for that. Let's keep going. Verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood. You know, you know the, the Scriptures tell us that, that we, we need to be bought back. That's what the word redemption means. It's to buy something back that's in slavery, that's lost. You and I were lost. We were slaves to sin. We couldn't get out of it. You can't stop sinning. You had no hope. You were a slave to sin. You were a slave to the grave. You were a slave to hell. But God redeemed you with the blood of Christ. Verse 7 says that we've been redeemed. We have redemption through His blood. The blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, is of such value that it merits purchasing us. He buys us with His own blood, with His own sacrificial death. In verse 7, it says we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of trespasses. God has given us forgiveness. We we are forgiven. He has taken away our sins. He's removed our guilt. God's not going to hold our offenses, our rebellion, our transgressions against us. He takes them all away. Verse 7 says, according to the riches of His grace. 
But don't miss this. Okay? Because this wraps it all back together. Don't miss this. The purpose of all of this is bigger than us. Okay? I don't know if that makes you happy or sad. It may, should make you happy. But, but let, me, let, me, let me tell you how. Okay? Let, let me give you a, a couple verses here. Ready? Ephesians 1.6. This is right after he says he predestined us for adoption. Then in verse 6 it says, To the praise of his glorious grace. Okay? Now go to verse 12. After he talks about uh, um, um, that, we, that he has a purpose, and it's according to the counsel of his will, verse 12 says, So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Now look at verse 14 after he talks about giving us the Holy Spirit. He says, Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it? To the praise of his glory. Do you see that? Three times in the first 12 verses, what does he say? He says, This is to the praise of his glory. Over and over again, he reminds us of that. What does that mean? That means that God sought you and he bought you and he chose you and he redeemed you and he sent his son to die for you and he adopted you and he forgave you that he might be glorified, that he might show us, that he might he might display to us the glory of his grace, the glory of his love, the glory of his mercy, the glory of his power. He wants us to see that. He's shown us that by, by, by giving us all these spiritual blessings. That we would recognize and exalt in His mercy and grace, His steadfast love. Folks, that's what life is all about. Listen, when I am responding to the glory of God, when, when God is big in my life, when I see Him in, in, in the way that He is, when I see all that He's done for me, when, when, when I see his, his, his mercy and His glory and His power and His love, and I'm just in awe of Him, my life is different. Okay? I don't know if you've experienced that. Maybe you have. But, but when, when, when God is small, okay? When God is real small in my life, and I'm big, and I'm taking on all these problems and I've got all these challenges and I've got these failures that I got to deal with. And, and God is there, but he's small. My life is, is not so good. It doesn't work well. But, but when God is big, when I see his glory and I am small, things really click. One more. OK, this is my last attempt to help help you here, I think I think this helps. Okay, think about it from this perspective. Okay, what's the nature of sin? Okay, we're sinners. We all know that. Hopefully, you know that. What's the nature of sin? The nature of sin is this: we're not impressed, and we're not interested in God. Okay, the nature of sin is that we don't trust Him, and we don't seek Him. The nature of sin is that we revolve our lives around me and not God. Okay, that's the nature of sin. Unimpressed with God, uninterested in God, revolving my life around me. And from sin flows what? Misery, chaos, hurt, immorality, anger. Okay, now what, what is Paul doing here? What is Paul doing? He's saying the opposite of sin. You see, sin is we're not interested in God. We're not, we're not impressed with God. Paul is pointing us to Jesus. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be Him who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. See, that's the opposite of sin, isn't it? That's, that's I'm enamored with God. I'm in awe of God. I'm erupting with praise with God. My life is revolved around that God. Folks, that's the way life is supposed to be. It's interesting, and you may not be interested in this, but I am in the Greek text. It, it, 
he, he, he puts blessed at the end. Okay, so the Greek text starts out and it says, God, Father, Lord, Jesus Christ. You know, in, in the Greek, Theos and Pater, uh, Kyrios, uh, Jesus, Christos, and then blessed. I mean, it's almost like he's just exalting God, all these names of God, and then blessed be that God. Folks, that's the way your life and my life is supposed to work. Do you see that? I mean, Ephesians 1 starts out right. It would be wrong to start out saying, okay, here's what you do when you're angry. And here's what you should think about your words. And here's how you should love your wife. And here's how you should respect your husband. And here's how you should parent your children. And here's what to do in temptation. You know why? Because we're not ready for that. We're not ready for that. We, We need to see the greatness of God. We need to be enamored around Him. We need to center our life around Him. Trust Him. And then we're ready to begin to live that out in practical ways. I hope your, your life is revolving around Him. I hope you see Him. I pray you see Him today. Let's pray together. Father, I just thank You for uh, all Your spiritual blessings that You have given us in, in the heavenly realms. God, thank You that, that we are, are Yours. Thank You, Jesus, for dying for us. Thank You, Jesus, for for giving us life in Christ. Thank You, Lord, for for adopting us into Your family. Thank You, Jesus, for for choosing us for holiness and blamelessness. God, thank You for designing us as born-again believers so that we can be holy and blameless before You. Thank You for redeeming us. God, help us to see and savor all that You are in Christ. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.